Good afternoon, church. How are we? Hey, it is so good to be together today. I'm glad to be here. I love being back in the house. Uh, last week, I hope you guys had a great fourth. It has been uh, a wonderful summer so far. I hope you guys have been able to uh, possibly get away. We are still in this series. I think we're going to end this series this week and kick off a new series next week. I'll tell you more about that. Uh, but we've had a lot of fun in this uh, road, summer road trip series. A lot, a lot of fun. Today, uh, we're going to continue in this conversation. Uh, but let me just tell you a couple things real quick. Uh, how many of you guys have one of these near you? All right. This is legal in our church. You know why? Because right there, no perfect people allowed. All right. So, hey, this is a little old school, but here in, in like kind of almost south Georgia, it gets a little hot. So feel free. You know, if you don't even, if, it's, if, you're, if you're a guy and there's a really cute girl next to you and you're like, you're not married and she's not married, feel free to fan her. It might be a way to like, oh, but let me just help you out there, okay? It might be a way, you know, get a date out of the deal. Um, we only have a couple rules around here. Um, um, no one sits alone, no one stands alone, and no make it out in the back row. Okay, that's it. Other than that, it's all free game, Okay. Uh, glad to have all of you here today. Real quick, uh, last weekend I had some friends from out of town, my sister and one of my best friends from college today. I have a great friend in town. It's my, my daughter's best friend, Tori Abeda. Just Everyone say hi to Tori real quick. Hi, Tori. Glad to have Tori today. Uh, we're we're going to have fun today. Now, I've got some rafts up here. Uh, and what, do, what does this make you think of? A donut. A donut. <laughs> I love it. The Krispy Kreme donuts we have out front. Let's give them a hand real quick. Krispy Kreme donuts. Yeah. I'll show up to church. Um, You know, I got these up here this morning because when I was a kid, on some of our summer family road trips, my dad would load up his pickup truck and fill the back of his truck with rafts. And we would either go to the Peace River, which was in like middle Florida or up in northern Florida, it's Natucky Springs. Has anybody ever heard of any of those? All right. So my favorite was was it's Natucky Springs. I don't even know if you can say that. But Itchnatucky Springs is a real place. And uh, it's, it's, it's a natural spring-fed river. And so it's ice cold. So in a hot summer day in, in Florida, to jump on one of these rafts and just cruise down this was like the most fun thing in the world. Uh, when I went to college, we didn't stop doing that. Uh, we, would get, we would get tons of our college friends and scope out some of the cool rivers uh, really, my favorite are the smaller rivers. So there were several of those little small creeks in Virginia where I went to school. Beautiful, rocky, you know, nice flowing rivers, like some areas that were rapid, some areas that were just real slow, you could just chill. But what I remember uh, on these types of trips, not just like the crazy fun we had, but those moments where like it, the river slowed down. And like in college, you're going 100 miles an hour. It's everything so fast-paced, and I'm not much of a napper. My wife will tell you, uh, it's, it's rare for me to go home and nap. Um, I, I, I want to. I long to. I would love to be like you people who actually can go do that, but it's difficult for me. Christy can take a nap. She can get like a, she can lay down and in like five minutes be like totally out and wake up and have like a five-minute power nap and be like, I'm ready to go. feels great. I just can't do it. I lay down and my brain starts going and I, I'm, I'm not going to fall asleep. But there's something about laying on one of these and just being on a river that's like gotten, you know, like, a, like an area where it's real slow moving. 
and I can see the bottom. That's always helpful if you can see the bottom. I like to be in rivers that I can see the bottom. And so some of the ones that are like a foot or two foot deep where you can just kind of let your feet drag a little bit, your, your hands can grab. If you want to stop yourself, you can. Every now and then, I remember just like totally like dozing off and falling asleep, right? Your feet are touching the water. It, the sun's beating on your back, and it just feels so good. I could, I could totally just zone out. And what happens if you fall asleep on a river, you will drift, right? You'll drift. And what happens is if you fall asleep and drift on a river, where you started is not where you end up waking up. I remember one time, my buddies in college, there was like 10 of us, and we were all having a big time. I fell asleep, and I drifted. I don't know how many yards. It could have been five yards for all I know. But when I woke up, I was like, oh, oh, I've been drifting. I woke up, and I looked, and no one was near me. And they had gotten out of the river and run a long ways off and hid from me. And I was like, hey, anybody out there? And I kind of had that flashback of some old, like, deliverance movie. Got a little nervous. But uh, today I want to talk about that. I want to talk about drifting today. Because when it comes to life, it is so easy. And, I, I, and I'm, my, part of my goal today is just to convince us how easy it is to drift. If you are drifting spiritually in your life, uh, if, if you started out over here and you've drifted a little way, you just kind of nodded off, dozed off, and you've, you've, maybe you've, you've hopefully been alarmed enough to wake up and realize you drifted, then you should applaud yourself. Because a lot of us, and I'm, I'm myself included, it is so easy to, to doze off, to not pay attention, to not look at the bank and realize you, you're still moving because drifting's like subtle. It is so easy for you to drift a ways and not realize you've drifted. It happens to all of us. So if you're drifting spiritually, you are always going to be drifting emotionally. You're drifting physically. You're drifting relationally. You're, if you're drifting spiritually, every other area of your life, it, it, it's possible that you, you could be far away from where you want to be. So this morning, I want to do this. I want to I pause for a moment. I'm going to ask God just to be with us. And uh, for God, just to open our hearts to this conversation. Let's pray. Lord, I, um, I just call on you right now and ask that you would make my words your words. And God, you would uh, just open our hearts, speak to us, guide us. And God, leverage this conversation for our growth. God, if it even means waking us up to where we're at um, right now in our lives, God, I pray you'd do that. God, if, if it means alarming us, if it means just, just kind of just um, doing a little bit of heart surgery today, God, I'm asking you, you would be with us powerfully today. I, I pray that nothing that, that's in my heart or my life, God, would, would bind what you or block what you would want to say to us today. But God, would you just grow us and change us and allow us to, to make our way come back to you today. We love you. Amen. All right, so let me do this. Let me tell you a story today. Um, that's found in 2 Samuel. Um, it's a story about King David. And as I tell you, and I'll summarize some, this is going to look ten times worse than your most favorite crazy Jerry Springer show. How many of you guys have ever watched Jerry Springer before? Right? I know it's not the coolest thing now, but like ten years ago, Jerry Springer was like still a big thing, I think. I don't know. I didn't see a whole lot. But every time I tuned in, I was like, whoa, those people are weird, man. They are so jacked up. This will make that look like nothing, all right? 
So leading into this conversation, I want to give you some handlebars for something we have to know as we look at this life of this guy named David. Proverbs 4.23, kind of as the, uh, as the setup for all this, says this. And this is a verse that I think we ought to commit to memory and uh, hang on to because it's valuable. All right, Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else. So if you have the uh, ability to memorize just a couple verses in the Bible, make this one of them. Because our hearts can drift. Scripture says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So as you navigate, as you go through life, you you have to guard your heart. It's valuable for us to protect it. All right? All right, so King David, uh, he is king. Uh, he's had a, a pretty cool life so far. He's done some amazing things. He's, he's uh, you know, stood up to, to bad guys. He's gone through challenges. He's made some mistakes. And now he's got kids who are adult kids, and now stuff's getting funky. Now, now they're having, like, Jerry Springer moments uh, their kids have issues. David's got baggage. He's been drifting. And now we're starting to see this show up in all aspects of his life. So David uh, has a f- his firstborn son, uh, Amnon. He begins to develop an infatuation with his half-sister named Tamar to where he begins to lust after his half-sister. So story... Scripture has it that one day he pretends he's sick. He stays home, pretends he's sick, um, doing the old, I hope she shows up to help take care of, you know, whatever she normally does in the house, and notices me being sick. So she does, and he makes, he has this whole strategy planned out. He's going to play sick boy, and then when she gets near, he's going to kind of, you know, make advances towards her. He does, she rejects him. Now, we, we see as you read this story that she is probably the person in this story, David, uh, all the other characters that I'll mention, she's probably the one that has the most integrity. She's probably got, she's probably got the most solid character. Um, and as he makes this attempt for her, uh, she's like, no, this is wrong. We're not married. You got somebody else. I got somebody else. And by the way, we're like half brother or sister. That's weird and jacked up as it is. He doesn't care. This guy's he's got this crazy lust thing going on. So as she rejects him, he gets mad and he rapes her. Rapes his half-sister. So as this happens, the family begins to uh, kind of come, uh, kind of basically just unravels. So um, he gets mad. And in 2 Samuel, we'll pick this story up. Chapter 13, verse 14. It says, but he refused to listen to her. I, I, she might have been trying to say, hey, you've got to go make this right. You've got to tell somebody, you know, this happened and, you know, you were wrong. And since he was stronger than her, she, she, he raped her. That's what Scripture says. And then Amnon, it says that he hated her with intense hatred. And, in fact, he hated her more than he ever loved her. Um, I would say he probably didn't love her at all. He probably just lusted after her. Uh, but Amnon said to her, get up and get out. So she did that. And so what's going on here is Amnon's banking on her not telling anyone. But she does. And in fact, she tells everybody in a very public way. 
this is what happened. This guy's a loser. I don't know how she said it, what she said. But in a very public way, she tells everyone. And so all the while, as this is going on, time goes by. It's gotten out there publicly. Everybody knows about it. She's expecting her dad, the king, to do something about it. To step up, pony up, man up, dad up. Say something, do something, respond, help me, rescue your baby girl, you know. And David doesn't do anything. And, and here, here, here's what's crazy. This is the same guy that like stood up to King Saul and says, no, you can't let Goliath, this bad guy, dominate us and, and talk badly about our God, the God of Israel. No, he went and like challenged Saul. He stood up to Goliath. He did all these amazing things. Everybody knew of him as a strong man, but he didn't do anything, do anything at all. And I don't really, I don't really understand why. Um, maybe he's like the king, and he's become like literally. He feels like I'm the king of the kingdom, and um, maybe I'm too busy. Maybe like a big CEO of a, com- a company or something. Maybe he just feels like he doesn't have time to deal with that. I don't know. Maybe he feels like if he calls the kids out, there's going to be repercussions for him somehow. But everybody knows. And David's doing nothing about it. So, um, so he doesn't, doesn't lift a finger to help his daughter. So let me show you this. In your notes this morning, I've got some notes for you too. You can follow along, jot some things down. Here's something to know. When sin, our mistakes, our junk, when sin is not dealt with directly and redemptively, it leads to more sin. Now, I, I think as I read that, I want to say, well, duh. But I, I think that's something we need to hear. That when we, when, if we recognize and, and applaud if we get, can recognize because drifting happens so slowly, sometimes it's hard to know we've drifted. But if you can recognize, if God brings it to your attention and you can pause long enough to recognize you've, you've drifted, you've gone further than you want to go, you've made some mistakes. If you can directly deal with it, meaning, um, you know, redemptively bring it to God because he's the only one that can forgive us. He's the only one that can help us. He's the only one that can help make sense of our fallenness. But if we can deal with it directly and redemptively, uh, then it will lead us away from more sin. But if we don't deal with it, it's going to lead to more sin. And that's the kind of idea that most of us have bought into a lie that if we keep it quiet, we keep it secretive, what will happen to, it, to us, it'll lead to more sin, lead to more problems. It'll lead to us drifting further than we ever thought we'd go because what does current do? Current at least our cultural current, our cultural current doesn't lead us to God. It leads us away from God. So as we're in the current of our culture, if we aren't paying attention to and dealing with our junk, our sin, we'll just keep moving right along. So one day we go, holy cow, where am I at? And I think David's got to at some point recognize, whoa, my life's a mess how did I ever get here? So, two years go by. Two years. And David has done nothing. Uh, during this time, his other son, Absalom, he's gotten madder and madder and more angry and more angry at the fact that his dad has done nothing. He loves his sister. He's ticked off that his brother has done what he's done. He's especially mad at his dad 
that his dad's done nothing, so he gets so mad, he can't stand this. And all of a sudden, he's got this out-of-control moment where he goes and he kills Amnon, the oldest brother. So now, you got, you got Absalom, who kills Amnon. You got one dead brother, one brother who's a murderer, and you've got a raped sister. And David's doing nothing still. So Absalom has to run away because he's broke the law. Now, more time goes by. Another year or so goes by. And David never now reaches out to Absalom. So he's got a, a dead son, a daughter who's brokenhearted that daddy, daddy's never done anything, and he's got a son who's run away. So he's looking around, and he's just like, I don't have anything. So years go by now, still. David's done nothing to reach out to Absalom. But I love this verse that along the way, as this is happening, th- this is what's written in Scripture. 2 Samuel 13, 39 says this, And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom. He didn't, but there was something that welled up inside of him, like maybe God is a nudge, go, go, be, go, 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 go check your son out. Go reach out to your son. But David doesn't do anything. And I think this is interesting because I think this could be the leading of God as one of those prompts. You ever had those prompts before? You, you, kinda, you ever drifted before? I know I'm not the only one who's ever drifted before. But as you're drifting, God nudges you, hey, you ought to quit. You ought to change. You ought to reach out to that person. You ought to forgive that person. You ought to make that right. You ought to quit doing that, what you're doing. You ought to start. And I think this is one of those experiences where he's got God nudging him but he doesn't, he doesn't respond to it. He doesn't do anything with it. So now, after three years, uh, David finally does something. Three years go by, a long while after Absalom's been gone, David sends servants uh, to reach out and to go bring Absalom back. So 2 Samuel 14, 23 says, Then Joab went to Geshur and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. But the king gave this order. Absalom may go down to this, his own house, but he must never come into my presence. <laughs> what a great dad you are, David. So Absalom did not see the king. So here he comes home. He never sees his dad. And as kids will do, Absalom, hurt, wounded by his dad, strikes out in anger, and he burns somebody's field. Like goes out and just lights a field on fire and like, Show my dad, right? Kind of what happens in our world today, right? You get mad at your parents. You may want to lash out and do something. Why? To get their attention, right? Dad's not, dad's not been around for him. No, he's got all this anger and bitterness and rage and hurt. His sister's been raped. He's killed somebody. He's not talking to dad. It'd be a, it'd be a really good time for dad to step up right now, right? No, you can come home, but you can't see me. And I'm not going to see you. So Absalom burns this field. And then eventually Absalom goes and recruits a bunch of guys and goes and overthrows his dad, overthrows the king and becomes the king himself. So, I mean, this is jacked up, right? This is like, whoa, are you serious? This is all within like six years period of time. They just went from like, I'm king, nothing's going wrong, to like, this is a mess. So... Um, David, as they enter into this, like, battle moment, 
Absalom's coming in, or, or David and Absalom are about to have this battle. All right, Absalom's already the king. David's out in the wilderness. Um, they, they, they're about to have this battle. And uh, David's had his moment in the wilderness, I think. Um, I think he's probably been gone long enough for him to realize, okay, this is so messed up. I'm no longer in power. I'm all alone. I'm out in the wilderness. I think he's probably replaying all the things he's done. I, pro- I think he's probably thinking, I wish I would have um, not slept with Bathsheba. I wish I would have never put her husband uh, on the front line, knowing but kind of pretending that he wouldn't get killed, but knowing that he would get killed if I put him on the front line of battle. I wish, I'd, uh, I, wish I would have said something to my daughter, like, Dad, sorry. I wish I'd have, you know, done something to my son that raped my daughter. You know, I should have done something. So I think he's in the wilderness having this moment when all of a sudden there's this battle that's about to take place. And Absalom and David are going to fight. Their guys are going to fight. But he tells all his men, David's got, David tells all his guys, do not touch my son Absalom. Do not kill him. Do not hurt him. Well, what happens is they accidentally kill his son. So now David's just like, oh, my gosh, this is the worst ever. And in 2 Samuel 18, 33, it picks it up. It says, the king was overcome with emotion. He went up to the room over the gateway and burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, my son. I mean, you can hear, you can hear this, the mountain of regret in David. He, literally, he's like, I should have, I should have, if only I would have. It's there, it's there in his words. And again, the natural cultural current doesn't lead us towards God. It leads us away from God. And here David, he's having this, you know, this out-of-body experience, realizing I was up here, but somehow I must have fallen asleep, and now I'm way over here, and I don't want to be where I'm at. So I want to give you, as we close today, um... I want to give you three thoughts on drifting. Three thoughts that I think will help us because I think this is, this is where a lot of us are at. I mean, some of you today, you might be just totally exactly where you need to be. You and God are tight. You're, you're, you're walking in His will. You're, you're not drifting. You're, you're, you're close. You feel loved by God. You recognize His grace. You're grateful for it. And, and you're like, you're guarding your heart. Some of us today, you, God may be showing you some stuff right now, and you may be conjuring up like, yeah, <laughs> that's not where I'm at. I've drifted. So maybe there's, maybe there's some, some stuff in here that might help us, and I think this will be helpful. So here's three thoughts about drifting. Number one, and this is in your notes. You can jot these down. I think you can hang on to this and, and, and leverage this to find our way back to God this morning. Number one, drifting is extremely subtle. Drifting is extremely subtle. Uh, in fact, drifting so subtle on uh, like a river or a creek that you don't know you're, you're drifting unless you like look over and see the bank because the bank stays the same and you move and you got to go, oh, I just passed a tree. I just passed a rock. I, okay, so drifting so subtle that you've got to look around you to notice you've drifted. Um, I wrote this down, drifting, uh, literally, the definition of it is a continuous slow movement from one place to the other, to be carried along or to move aimlessly. 
So here's what happens with drifting. Drifting, uh, drifting, spiritual drifting usually starts with a thought that leads to an attitude that becomes a habit or a lifestyle. So breaking this down, it starts with a thought. Uh, it's like, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm just going to do it once, right? And, and whatever I'm about to do is maybe not that big of a deal. So, so maybe we act on it, we do it. It's, it's that thought, right? You just, maybe you've role-played this out, you've thought about it a few times. It starts out as a thought. Over time, you, we know how this works. We act on it, we do it. And if you uh, have done it a, a couple times, then eventually what happens is your attitude changes, what you once thought was, I, that's wrong, I sh- should not do that. Over time, you've drifted, and now your attitude's different. You don't think it's any big deal, right? I mean, you kind of blow it off. And if you were honest and were asked, would you advise your best friend to do what you're doing or be where you're at or make the choice to do what you're doing, they, you would say no. Or if, if you said, hey, would you advise your kids to do what you're doing right now. You would say, uh, no. But how, how often do we hear ourselves say, or you probably hear somebody else say, it's hard for us to recognize we've drifted, but how many of you, ta- how many of us would say, I'd give them the advice, no, but for me, it's okay. Uh, you, my situation's different than theirs, <laughs> right? I, I've heard that so many times. But my, but, but Jeff, Pastor, Pastor Jeff, my, my situation is unique. Like, you're not a human being. It's like that unique. Like, it's not a, you know, oh, well, but, you know, I don't think it's going to, I know you say it's going to play out like that, but it won't play out that way for me. But yet you would give your friends the other kind of advice. You would give your kids the other kind of advice. So that's what happens. starts out with a thought. It becomes an attitude. And then after a period of time, it becomes a habit. It becomes a lifestyle. And what we do is this. We play this, uh, we play this little game with God. It's like, the, it's like a distraction game. You know, God, um, I, I, I know I'm messing up over here. And, and, and you, you, you're God, God, I know you, you're seeing where I'm at. And I know you don't want me to be where I'm at. But, man, it kind of feels good a little, bit, a little bit, God. So you try to say, God, but don't look at that. Look at this over here. And you try to distract God. Um, I, I know I know guys do this sometimes. I, I'll, hear, I'll hear guys, you know, will, will tell me, you know, some of the, the mistakes they've made, you know, and they'll they'll say, hey, I was, I was, there's this girl at my office, and she's kind of cute, and I've talked to her a few times, and I've never, I never really, I never, I never went there, but, but it, it's kind of felt good just to talk to her a little bit. And then, and then that's what we do. We'll be like, God, I, I know I shouldn't be, tiptoeing into this. I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't go there. But hey, God, but guess what I'm doing over here? I'm doing the dishes for my wife tonight. <laughs> right? God, hey, don't look at that. But God, I'm, look how kind I'm being right now. And I'm doing the dishes for my wife. God, look what I'm doing. I'm, I'm being kind. And, and, and I'll, I'll, even like when I was thinking this morning when, when Richard was doing our welcome and he was saying, hey, the ushers are going to come forward today. I know for a lot of us, this whole giving things is kind of like, you know, kind of an awkward moment. Because like, I know many of you, you, you want to be generous. You want to be, you want to give to a church. But I know it's kind of a, kind of a awkward kind of subject sometimes for some people. But I know that, that this is how this plays out. Like I know many of us, and I've been wrestling at different times in my life to want to be generous and give to God and help do what he wants done 
through the church, but I, I know this is how it works. So, so you'll, you'll, you maybe drifted, or maybe at one time you were generous, but now you're not, or maybe you want to try, but you're scared. You'll do, do this whole distraction thing. You'll say, God, I, I know I should. I want to try, but, but I'm in debt, and I don't want, you know, whatever. And then you'll say, but God, check out over here. I'm going to be really generous to this girl who's our, who's our waitress today. I'm going to tip her a dollar. Like, yeah, God, I'm awesome, right? God, don't look over there. But look. And we play this distraction game with God. And, and when we get to that distraction game, that, that we, we've, we've gone past the thought. We're, we're, we're deep into the attitude, and now we're, we're making it a habit. Now we're, now we're continuing to act on it. And what happens to us, so many people, and I'm, I'm telling you, I've, I've been in those shoes, I'll probably be in those shoes again, have started out in life, and we're like, man, life is good, we're partying, we're having a good time. And what will happen to us is we'll drift and we'll drift and we'll drift. We'll get to a place potentially as crazy as David, right? Potentially. I mean, I, none of us thinks that that'll ever be us. But you can drift so far because it's so subtle to where you think, I don't know how I can get back. The current is too tough. The current's too rough. It's number one. Number two, if you don't want to drift, you better anchor up. Better anchor up. Now, one of the things I think is cool uh, when you're on a, a, a creek or a, a river is, is rafting down in shallow water so that when you're, when you're laying down, you can, like, let your hands drag. But one of the easiest things to do is to reach down and to grab, like, a rock, right? Like if you've got some friends and you don't want to drift on down past them, you just reach down and you're flowing and you're like, oh, there's a good rock. I'll just grab onto the rock right here and I'll stop. And you can just lay there as long as you want. And it's easy because the current's not really, you know, moving right there. You grab a rock, you can stay. Here's the thing. When it comes to our drifting, if we don't want to drift, we got to grab hold of the rock. And if we'll grab hold of the rock, you will not drift. Let me show you this in Scripture. I love this verse. Psalms 18.2, the Lord is my rock. Say that with me. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield. He is the power that saves me in my place of safety. And when we're anchored to our rock, when we're anchored to community, and I'm telling you, when I'm anchored to a, a group of friends, I'm anchored to the rock. It's because, it's because friends help me see sometimes where I've drifted far better than I can see it myself. So when I'm, when I'm connected, and many of you guys are connected to a small group of the church, and I advise you to do that. That is one way to grab hold of the rock. Get some, get some, get some friends. Get some people that are trying to, trying to resist the, the cultural current, that are trying to be wise and trying to, trying to, you know, follow God and 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 follow His best plan for your life. The way you grab hold of the rock is getting getting connected in a group. Another way to, to to stay grounded and grab hold of the rock is to be in His Word. I mean, I I I I've developed a, a, a good habit. If I read I read the verse of the day, no matter what. I try to read a chapter of the Bible a day. I don't always do that, but that's, but, that's, but that's my goal, and that's what I basically do. 
Now, it may not look exactly the same for you, but that's what's working for me. And, if, if it, and I would just say, find what works for you and take hold of it and leverage it. Cling to that rock. The other thing is, is, is just praying. I mean, praying just reminds me that he is my rock. Every time I, I go to God and, I, and I'm usually praying to God, thanking God, or asking God for help, it reminds me that he is my rock. It reminds me that he's there longing to be my rock. So if you don't want to drift, you better anchor up. Third thing is this. The further you drift, and this is fact, this is true, the more hopeless you feel. Been there. I, I imagine there's been many times that, that we've all been there. And because, really it's because fighting the current is exhausting. Have you ever tried, have you ever felt like, you know, I don't, I don't want to be where I'm at? Fighting the, 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 the current back is, is, is tiring. If you've ever floated down a river and, and you, you missed, your, you, you missed your, your getting out point, you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> Either I tromp through the woods or I swim my way back. It's exhausting. And can I just tell you that I, I believe in this audience today, there's probably many of us here today that would say I've drifted. And I've drifted so far, I don't know if I can come back. And you would say to me, you don't know how bad it is. You think that Jerry Springer moment, I got one on that one. I've got a couple, you know. And you would say, I don't know if there's a, there, I don't know if I have the strength. I don't know if I have the gumption. I don't know if God wants me to come back. Well, here's all I want to do. I want to sh- end with one of my most favorite Bible parables. Uh, Jesus rapid fires some amazing teachers, like three parables back to back to back. And I would say if you ever wanted to start just jumping in and reading the Bible somewhere, I would not start with Second Samuel. If you're new to Bible study, the story of Amnon, David killing. Like I would start in John. I would start John 15. So let me show you this. And, and let me just say that this is an amazing teaching. Uh, and this is, an incredible, this is an incredible image of who God is. This, this portrays who God is. And if your image of God has drifted because culture will do that also culture will also whether we realize it or not shape in our minds who god is but we have to balance that to what god's word is so if you're if you have an unhealthy image of god let me help change that right now luke 15 13 says this a few days later this younger son meaning there's an older son there's a dad involved younger son wants to get out of Dodge. He's tired of living under his dad's rule, wants all his, his inheritance, and he wants to get out of Dodge. Son's drifting. So a few days later, this younger son packs up all his belongings, and he moves to a distant land. I want to get away from Pops. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. So he's drifting. About the time his money runs out, or ran out, a great famine swept the land. He began to starve, and he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him out into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding to the pigs looked good to him. That's never a good thing. But no one gave him anything. So isn't it amazing when you're drifting? Isn't it crazy how it happens when you're drifting, 
how you can convince yourself you're enjoying it when you're really not. <laughs> this is right. I mean, this is really fun. No, it's not. And down deep, we know it's not. This is painful. And I'm digging my grave. I'm getting further and further. So finally, verse 17, when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, and that's what I've been praying for us today, that, that we would come to our senses, that maybe God would leverage, leverage this and have you here for this moment, maybe for such a time as this. I don't know why you showed up today. Maybe for such a time as this that God would get your attention, that it would come to your senses. So he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I'm dying of hunger. So he returned home to his father. And here's a new image. And while he was still a long ways off, his dad, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion, which I'm, I'm sure he's not thinking that's what he's filled with. He ran to his son, and what does it say? He did what? He kissed him. Now, I don't know a whole lot of daddies that dislike kiss their sons. I mean, maybe when they're little, but not, not like full-grown sons, and definitely not when they've run off. Right? I think that's even, in our culture, that sounds weird as men, right? Like, would you want God to come give you, give you a sloppy wet kiss? I mean, I think it's funny. We have a song. Like, there's a worship song that said, God comes down with a sloppy wet kiss. And I'm like, oh, the guy's got to hate that in this church. That's so weird. Why do we sing songs about sloppy, you know, wet kiss from God? But this is the image. This is the image that we see in Scripture. That this guy had gotten so far, he's drifted so far, he's done so many terrible things, he's broken the heart of the father, but the response of his dad. Now we know when you mess up, you go home. Duh. Whoever, ever, whoever ran away from home, what did you do after you ran away from home? You went back home. Most of you, unless you were stupid, you kept running, right? Until you run out of money and you're broke and you don't, have any, you don't have any money left, and then you go home, or you get a friend to help, right? But we know we run home. But here's what we forget. As you're running home, your dad's running to you. And he's not filled with anger. He's filled with love. And even if you're a dude, I mean, when I'm broken, when, I'm really, really, when I really come to my senses and I realize how far I've gone, you can kiss me all over. Right? I'll receive it. When I'm, when I'm so hurt and wounded, when I've come to my senses and I realize how destitute I am apart from God, bring on the big smooch. Thank you that you love me that much, God. So, so he, he, he's on his way home. He's, he's starving his, his father, while he's still a long ways off, sees him coming, filled with love and compassion, runs out to him, embraces him, kisses him. His son says to his father, like, like you know, we've done before, like God wants to love us, and we're like, whoa, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. And his son says, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Like, this guy knows where he's been. He, he has come to full sense. He has drifted so far, and he's down the river a long ways, and he's like, 
I'm a long ways off. You don't even know what I've, what I've gone through. But his father said to the servants, like he says this to everybody. It's not some squeaky little quiet conversation like, I love you, it's okay. No, 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 in front of everybody. Everybody who probably doesn't even want the son to be received the way he is. Everybody who's jockeying for a little bit of extra daddy's approval. Who's like, hey, he's wasted probably our, our inheritance too. When he took the money, maybe he took more. Maybe he took some of ours. Maybe things have been lean. Maybe, maybe the workload has gotten heavy for everybody else. Dad doesn't care. He says to everybody, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Give him a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf. We have been fattening as if he was all alone preparing, all along preparing for this moment. We must celebrate with a, with a feast for this son of mine was dead. Now, he had an older son. He had an older son that was kind of upset because he was the, the good big brother. And the good big brother was doing it all right. And he wasn't getting that type of treatment. But the son who ran off was receiving this massive amount of grace. Undeserved, un- unbelieved, unrecognized at first. But the father says, for this son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And listen, what's the last sentence here? Say this with me. So the party began. (laughs) Is that just like a bow on the end? So the party began? Now here's what's cool. I thought about this last week and... Sent a couple emails out last night. I said, you know what? Let's start a series next week. Let's call it House Party. Let's have a house party. Like Sam Sam Hunt style. Every Sunday morning ought to be a house party here. You know why? Because we're all sons and daughters who are finding our way back to God. Every week, every week, and it's you and I, we walk through these doors carrying bruises and scars, and mistakes, and driftedness, and most of us think it's too far to go back. The current's too strong. I've blown it. And of course, we want to come back. It's just in our nature. When you're broken, and you're hungry, and you have no food, you return to the source. But our source runs to us. That's what blows my mind. That's when I'm like, kiss my face, kiss me all over. Thank you, Jesus. Because right now, I don't feel too pretty. I don't feel like, I don't feel all that lovable. I don't feel huggable. I don't feel kissable. I feel terrible. In that image of a father who runs, runs like, like, I mean, with with speed in his steps, beelining his way to his son, who to everybody else looks despicable. The servants, the older brother, they didn't, they didn't feel that way towards him. It doesn't say they ran out and embraced him. No, daddy runs, beelines into this ugly, nasty, stinky, roll with the pigs mess. He kisses them kisses him. We didn't deserve that. We don't deserve that. 
All the more reason not to drift. All the more reason to say, if I've drifted, I'll come back. And if you feel like that guy does on his way back, and you're thinking, I can't come back. Dad's going to be ticked. He's going he's gonna, to, you know, kick my tail. He's going to chew me out. He's probably going to chew me out, then kick me back out just to, like, spite, you know, let me know how much he's hurt. No, no, no. Yeah, God gets hurt. But Scripture says God cannot deny who he is. And who is God? Scripture says God is love. See, our infinite minds, coupled with the, the flow of culture, we, it does not, we cannot compute with God's love. I don't grasp the full measure of God's love. I don't think we can grasp it this side of heaven, but just because we're products of our culture. But if your image is anything other than this, shape it up. Let God shape it up. Come back to him. And it's not that hard because God's running to you. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we, we praise you that you, you give us this kind of grace when it's so undeserved. But God, we thank you that you offer it. So Lord, I pray for those of us that are here today that might be bruised up and broken and we've drifted. God, and today, it's, our senses are aware of it. We recognize, God, I'm far from you. God, I pray for every man, woman, and, this child, in the, and, and child in this room today. And I ask, God, that you would, you, would, you would open their eyes to see the true image of who you are. I, I pray you'd bind the enemy's lies of we can't come back, you won't receive us, We've messed up too many times. We're even a Christian and we keep messing up. God, I pray that you would help us recognize the story that you give us to to give us clarity about who you are. The image of God is a God who loves us and runs out to kiss us no matter what. But I pray that today we would turn towards you. We'd start coming home. And God, I pray that we would receive your love. We'd recognize your love. God, we'd We'd walk in your love. We'd walk in your grace. We'd stay strong in you. We'd find strength in you, Jesus. We love you. In your precious name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Won't you all stand? Let's sing together.